Uh, well, today we're going to be talking about conflict and uh, most importantly, how to deal with conflict. So real quick, uh, just a brief survey. How many of you have conflict in your life? Uh, how many have ever had conflict in your life? Okay. Conflict is one of those things I feel like happens all the time. Uh, and some people, I think, love conflict, like my son. I think my son, who's four years old, loves conflict. Uh, he, uh, he has this nasty habit right now of anytime we uh, are getting dinner ready, he will come up and say, what are we having? We'll tell him, and he'll say, yuck, I don't like that. Uh, to which our response is usually, tough. It's what's for dinner. Uh, and, and, and he just, even if he likes it, right, he, he still does it. He just wants, I think, conflict, us to argue with him for some reason. Uh, the other day I made lasagna uh, and pulled it out, and he's like, yuck, I don't like that. I said, well, why don't you try it? And before it was all said and done, he had two pieces uh, of the lasagna. So it's not that he doesn't like it. He just, I don't know, loves conflict. So, uh, so conflict happens as we grow up more than just food that we eat, but conflict happens uh, pretty much in every corner of our lives, all right? You, you have conflict in your workplaces. Uh, it pops up. Uh, we have conflict in our society. Uh, we can see that through the news media and all kinds of stuff. Just go to, this is my only political thing I'll say, <laughs> just go to the Donald Trump rally, you'll see conflict, right? Uh, at least we are made aware of that conflict. Uh, we, we see it uh, in our homes. I mean, most of us don't have uh, conflict-free marriages. All right? It is just one of those things that happens. And, and I don't think that conflict is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, what I think is how we handle that conflict says a lot about us. See, I don't think being in conflict with people is sin in and of itself. I think how we go about dealing with it can be sinful or not. See, God did not create us all to be the same. He didn't create us all to have the same thoughts and same processes. And so because we're not all the same, uh, we think about things differently. My wife, I love her. She puts dishes in wrong in the dishwasher. All right? I go back and resort it from time to time. All right? And it, it, I can fit more in the way I do it. But it's conflict, right? It can be. Why are you redoing that? Because I want to. Because <laughs> I'm OC, OCDC, or whatever. I don't know. Anyway, uh, so, so conflict isn't bad. And when we look in the New Testament church, we also see that they had conflict. All right? We are told in the early chapters of Acts uh, that they were all of one accord. And that means that they were all on the same mission. They all knew what they were trying to do. But they did have times where they conflicted with each other. And so we're going to look at some of those stories uh, about how they dealt with that conflict. And luckily for them, Jesus had, give, had given them uh, a roadmap on how to deal with conflict. And so before we jump uh, into where we're going to be in Acts, I want us to read what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, Matthew 18 comes in a, a midst, midst of a bunch of different teachings uh, that Jesus is giving, and one of them deals with conflict. And it says this, if your brother uh, sins, there's supposed to be a space in between sister and sin. So if your brother sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Uh, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if, you will, if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Uh, if they 
still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And so this is a, uh, a four-step process that Jesus has given the church. And it's really not uh, to be taken, like, literally do this, 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 and everything will be well. Uh, it's more of a guideline, all right? And, and it, it helps out, okay? And so there's a couple things we need to know about this guideline that's been given, because some processes you just got to skip, okay? Uh, and, and so uh, some of the steps you just have to skip. And so we need to talk a little bit about... Uh, a couple of things in this. First off, he's talking about brothers in Christ. All right. And so he's talking about those who are a part of the church. And so when we take this and we look at this guideline, it's not necessarily meant to be used if you're having an issue with someone who's not a Christian. All right. Uh, we are not, as Christians, supposed to be pointing out everybody's sin in the world. We're not supposed to be standing on soapboxes saying you're going to hell because you're doing this. All right. That's not uh, what Christianity is about. That's not what God's about. Uh, Paul will in First Corinthians say you can judge inside the church, but don't even think about judging outside the church. All right. The church is sinful. Outside the church is sinful. All right. And they're going to live in sin. All right. And they don't understand. You have to show them Christ and the mercy and grace that we see in Christ. And so when we're looking at this, we're not dealing with people who are outside the church. We're dealing with people inside the church. All right? And so he talks about someone sinning. All right? And so there's two types of sins I think we're supposed to point out. All right? The first is when someone sins against us. All right? So if someone does something that is sinful to me. All right, they, they've hurt me, they've said bad things about me, they lied to me, uh, they, 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 they've stolen from me, uh, whatever. You know, when they sin against you, all right, you're to address that. You're not to go tell Joe over here. And you're not supposed to tell Susie over there. All right, you're, you're not supposed to gossip and slander the person. You're supposed to go to that person that has sinned against you. All right, so that's one thing, is, is if they've sinned against you. The other thing is, I think we're talking about sins that we personally witness. All right? uh, again, going back to this gossip and slander, all right, those are sins in and of themselves. And they're not, we as a church can't be gossiping, period, but we should not be gossiping about our own brothers and sisters in Christ. All right, and so the sins that we witness, we see uh, Tony over here stealing from the local restaurant or, or being rude to the waitress. Those are sins that if you see it happen, you go to them and you talk to them about it. So that's the first step is you personally go and say, hey, you realize what you did was wrong, right? All right and in and, and other verses, we're told we're supposed to do this gently, all right, not yelling, scream at them, not saying repent or else. All right, that's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be gentle about it. Hey, you know, Jesus said this, and what you just did there is not that. And we're supposed to move them uh, to this understanding of what the Bible says about things. So that's the first step. The first step is you go. The second step, he says, is if, if, if they don't listen to you, which I find that if I approach someone one-on-one -on -one and talk to them, uh, they are very willing to listen and willing to repent because they're Christians. They believe in Christ. They believe in his mercy, and they want to live that way. But if they don't, all right, you're supposed to bring uh, two or three others. And Jesus quotes an Old Testament passage says, based on the witnesses of two or three. All right, and so it gives us the impression that the people that you bring along with you are witnesses to it. 
So, so again, not talking about Joe that you've talked about it to, and not talking about Susie who you gossiped with, but someone else that was there that saw them commit the sin. And that is who you're supposed to go with. All right, and see, so you can kind of see how these are more guidelines, because what if there was no other witness? What do you do? All right, that's where you have to almost use your judgment on what to do. All right, maybe you skip this step and you just bring it before the church. Because that's the next step, bringing it before the church. How many of you would want me to tell the world about your sin? Yeah, we don't like this one. Right? And, and it gets sticky because it can be legally, legally very, very bad in the United States. And so the way we do it at Kentucky Road is we bring it to the elders, who are representatives of our church, and they approach those people. All right? And so, so that's how we... In, interpret this based on our uh, society that we live in. All right, so let's bring it to the church, and if they don't listen to the church, then you treat them as a pagan or a tax collector, essentially saying you discommunion with them, uh, you disfellowship them, uh, and you do not allow them uh, to be a part of the family uh, in this context. And it seems harsh, right? Jesus is saying that. Let's make sure we're clear on that. Jesus is saying this, and it seems harsh, but when we realize that Jesus is about everybody being in the right relationship, this is where this is important. Because when someone sins, sin can divide a church very easily. And if we allow sin within the church, it will eventually tear the church apart. And so every single step in this process is with the mindset of bringing this person back into a right relationship with one another. So I approach them not because I'm angry at them, but because I want to be in a right relationship with them. We bring it before the church because we want them to be in a right relationship with God. All right? And so it's all about uh, this idea of being united, being in unity with each other, uh, being of one accord. All right, so this is the, 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 the guideline that Jesus gave. And we see it played out in the book of Acts because the church faced issues. They faced conflict with each other, all right? and, and, and it happens. All right, conflict is going to happen. And so we're going to look at just a couple of stories in Acts. Uh, the first one is in Acts chapter 6. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, and we're just going to look and see how did the church handle the conflict that they were facing. Uh, and then we're going to read a couple of passages that uh, Paul talks about today. All right, and so Acts chapter 6, uh, here is the story. Uh, it's the first seven verses. Uh, in those days when the number of disciples were increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them c- complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, uh, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Uh, This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith uh, and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Uh, They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Uh, So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. All right, so, so we see the conflict. The conflicts... Uh, needs some explanation, all right? Uh, so there are Hebraic Jews and there's Hellenistic Jews. All right? And so basically what happened uh, when uh, 
all the different people started conquering the Jews, uh, they became scattered. And they scattered throughout what is now the Roman Empire. All right? And it's called the diaspora uh, or the dispersion. All right? and, and so the, the Jews, they were dispersed. Okay, we can kind of understand that. And so what happened is, as they were dispersed, and as they started to live among different cultures, rather than keeping their own culture, they adopted the culture where they were living. So those Jews that that lived in and around Jerusalem, uh, they kept their traditional Hebrew culture. They dressed as Hebrews, they spoke Aramaic, they, 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 they sang Aramaic songs, all right? They, their culture was all based on that, okay? Uh, but those that, that were in Greece or in Rome or in other places, they adopted those cultures, and they spoke Greek rather than Aramaic, and they dressed like Greeks did. They, they, they had togas and stuff, all right? And they uh, kept the law of Moses, all right? So they, they did everything the law said. They ate their food that the law said to eat and all that stuff. They were still Jews, but they looked different. If you put the two together, you would see that there was a difference. And as a result, uh, there was a division within the Jewish people. And this division bled into the church, all right? The church... Uh, was full of Jews, and, and some of them were Hellenistic Jews. All right? They stayed in Jerusalem. They wanted to learn from the apostles uh, after the day of Pentecost, but they still spoke Greek, and they still dressed like them. They still had that culture. And so what happens, uh, for one reason or another, uh, their widows were being overlooked. The church was very good at looking after widows and orphans in the first century, and, and it seems like they probably overlooked taking food to this group of people. I, I don't think that the church purposely said, oh, I don't want to take it to, to Aunt Margaret today. I, I don't think that's what happened. I think what happened is it was just an oversight. Right? But it was still favoritism. It was still a sin that was, that was causing conflict. And those widows that were expecting the church to help them out, and they weren't getting it. And so they started to complain. All right, and eventually got to uh, the, the apostles, uh, and, and they said, okay, let's have everyone meet together. And they brought it before the whole church, and they talked about it, and they came up with the solution. And the solution was they would appoint seven guys to take care of the issue. All right, and all seven of these guys have Greek names, which is significant. All right, they're not Jewish names. They are Hellenistic names. All right, and so these guys were meant to be working with both sets of widows and to solve the issue. All right, and so they got together. They did this uh, to solve the problem. We don't necessarily see uh, the first two steps, but I can probably assume, and we probably all can assume, that the first two steps were there. Hey, I didn't get any food today. What's up with that? Hey, I really didn't get food for the last week. What's up with that? Hey, it's been a year now, and, and it just has progressed and, and been an issue. All right, so that's how they dealt with conflict. They got together. They solved the issue. Uh, the next big conflict that we see is in Acts chapter 15, uh, and it is a little bit more involved. See, in Acts chapter 6, it, it's probably just a ministry oversight. In Acts chapter 15, we're talking about uh, bad teaching. All right, And so we see uh, this is what happens there. In verses 1 through 4, certain people uh, came down from 
Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Uh, they brought Paul, uh, that's, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp disputes and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and the elders uh, about this question. And the church sent them on their way. And they, as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. Uh, this news made all the believers very glad. And when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders uh, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. All right, so here's our conflict. All right, this is the start of the conflict. And the conflict is uh, some people from Jerusalem has come to Antioch and they've started to teach them that in order to be saved, you have to be a Jew. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the customs of Moses. All right, now, now here's the issue. All right, the, the, the Jerusalem church, it's the first church. All right, they're the ones in which everybody scattered and started preaching about Jesus to everyone else. Uh, Antioch is the first major Gentile church. All right, they also sent people out and planted churches. Paul and Barnabas are two of the guys, uh, and they go to Galatia in Acts chapter 13 and 14. Uh, you can read about that story. All right, and so what's happening is these people from the first church is sending new information to this Antioch church. And the information is disturbing, right? For the Gentiles, the reason why they didn't really convert to Judaism is because it was very involved, right? You had to be circumcised. You had to follow certain dietary customs. You had to uh, even wear certain things and tithe to the uh, temple in Jerusalem. It was way complicated. And so a lot of Gentiles didn't do it. And so when the message of Jesus first came and they were saying, you can believe in Jesus and you can be saved, a lot of people were like, yes, that's what we need. And now they're getting new information. All right, think of it, think of it this way. Uh, I, I love board games. Uh, and I like to play new ones. I, my wife thinks it's annoying because I buy new ones and, and she doesn't like it, right? Yeah, okay. All right. uh, I love board games. And, and when someone comes with a new game, I want to learn it. And so imagine if, if I taught you a game and, and you were thinking of a, how you were going to win and you were working towards that strategy. And about halfway through the game, I said, oh, yeah, you have to do this also. And it completely ruins your strategy on how to win the game. It makes you lose, in fact. How upset would you be? Right, and so these, these Christians, it's kind of the same way. Right? They, they've been taught, this is all you need is faith in Jesus, to be baptized into him. Don't worry about the Jewish custom. And now they're being told, oh no, you have to worry about it. I mean, it probably would have shook them to their, their core. And so they're, they're listening to the Jewish, Jewish Christians from Jerusalem argue with Paul and Barnabas, and they can't decide who is right and who is wrong. And so they say, go back to Jerusalem and figure it out. Uh, remember, uh, these guys are coming from Jerusalem. Paul and Barnabas are originally from Jerusalem. And so uh, they said, just go figure it out and let us know what, what's going on. All right, and so they, they send them all to Jerusalem. Paul, along the way, tells everybody about what's happening, and everybody's getting excited. All right, so he's kind of building up a base for himself. Uh, it just feels that way, even though that's not really what's happening. All right, and so uh, they get to Jerusalem in verse 5, uh, and we read uh, in 5, 5 through 19 there, what happens there. Uh, verse 5 says, Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised, and we be required to keep the law of Moses. 
the apostles and the elders, they, they, they came together to meet about this question. And after much discussion, Peter got up and he addressed them. He said, brothers, uh, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the hearts, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit to them just as he did us. If you remember last week, we talked about this, Acts chapter 10. Peter preaching to Cornelius. All right, verse 9, he said, He did not discriminate uh, between us and them. Uh, he purified their hearts by faith. Now, then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Not, no, uh, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. And so uh, Peter's argument is, listen, you saw what happened to Cornelius. It was great. Everyone was excited. God blessed them. All right. And now you're trying to put a yoke, a burden that we have spent our entire lives trying to fulfill, that our fathers spent their entire lives trying to fulfill, that their fathers and their fathers and no one was able to do it. So why are you saying they have to? I mean, that is his argument, all right? Then in verse 12, we read that the whole assembly became quiet, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and the wonders, the miracles that God had done among the Gentiles through them. And when they had finished, James spoke up, and he said a bunch of stuff that we'll kind of summarize in verse 19, when it says, It is my judgment, therefore we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. All right, so when we look at this process of conflict resolution within the church, all right, we see that they came with this idea. It was wrong. It was bad teachings. And Paul and Barnabas, they start to talk to them, and they argue with them. And it goes before the church, and they say, you guys need to go to Jerusalem. And it goes before the whole church there. And they come to this solution together. Uh, verses 20 and, and onwards, James will say, there are four things we should encourage the Gentiles not to do. And all four things deal with idolatry. And, and so they're saying, as long as they keep themselves from these four things, we can have fellowship together. And so essentially that's what it comes down to. All right? They work together. And within the church, when it comes to conflict, we cannot be slandering each other. We cannot be gossiping about each other. We just need to come together and deal with the conflict. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that we won't go our separate ways. Paul and Barnabas in verse 36 of this chapter uh, will decide that they want to go back and to encourage the believers in all the towns that they had planted churches. Uh, in verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. Uh, in verse 38, Paul did not. So Barnabas wants to bring John? Paul doesn't. And we're told that they became in such sharp dispute with each other that they just decided to go their separate ways. All right, so these two guys, they were friends. They, they were co-workers in the kingdom of God, and they just came to this, this impasse, all right? It doesn't mean that they didn't love each other. It doesn't mean that they uh, hated each other for the rest of their lives. No, they just needed to go their own separate ways. And sometimes conflict within the church uh, is for the growth of the kingdom. All right? It allows people to go separate ways and do great things for God in their own separate ways. Right? And it's okay for conflict to be there. Right? But how do we handle it? That's what matters. Do we gossip with each other? Do we slander people? Do we come together? Right? That's when we're talking about conflict in the church, what matters the most? Coming together to coming to a solution that we can all agree upon. Now, a couple of things. Uh, 
couple more verses just to talk about before we close today. The first is in Romans chapter uh, 14, and I think verse 1. Uh, and it reads like this. It'll be on the screen. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. And, and Paul will continue to write about what he's talking about. And what he's talking about is those who believe that it's okay to eat meat and those who think that you should only eat veg- vegetables. So there's vegetarians and meatitarians, okay? And they're disagreeing on what, which one's right. And essentially what's happened in, in the first century world was this. Uh, if you went to a butcher shop, nine times out of ten, uh, the meat there had been sacrificed to an idol. All right, and so is it okay for you to eat meat that's been sacrificed to the idol as long as you're not participating in the idol worship? All right, that's the question. All right, and Paul says, no, it's not wrong. Okay, you, you can eat meat. But if you have a friend who's a Christian who thinks it is wrong, you shouldn't eat meat for them. Right, essentially what Paul comes down to is you should not be a stumbling block for someone. Right? When it comes to conflict in the church, you should not be the stone that everybody is conflicting with. Right? You should be bringing unity. And if that means you don't eat meat, don't eat meat. So how does that play out in our society? I think of two good examples. It, it plays out a lot more. Essentially what we're talking about is there are some things that are disputable and there are some things that are not disputable. Not disputable things are things that are written in black and white. God says this is sin and we cannot argue about it because it's in the Bible. But there's a lot of gray in the Bible too. The Bible doesn't talk about movies or TV. And what is right for you to watch and what's not right for you to watch. And lots of people have opinions. And if you think a show or a movie is okay for you to watch, watch it. But if you know someone thinks it's wrong, don't put it on Facebook that you're watching it. I mean, it's that simple, right? right? You don't have to say, hey, look at me, I'm watching this movie. Ha <laughs> ha, sorry for you guys that think it's wrong. All right? That's not what we're supposed to do. All right? We're supposed to love each other. All right? Another great example is alcohol. There's a lot of people in the church that think alcohol in any consumption is wrong. That's nowhere in the Bible. So if you think it's okay to drink it, then drink. Just don't tell everybody that you're drinking. Can we do that? I mean, that, that's essentially what it comes down to. All right, all right, I have, yeah, anyway, right, it, it goes in a lot of different areas. There's a lot of things that are very gray, all right, and the Bible doesn't say one way or the other if it's right or wrong, and it really doesn't matter. It should not cause division over disputable things, all right? That's, that's what it comes down to. Paul, uh, in 1 Corinthians, will say this last thing in verse 10. Uh, it'll be on the screen as well. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no division among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thoughts. So what Paul is saying here is this. They were dividing over who was going to be their teacher. And he says, that is stupid. Don't be stupid in your quarrels. Don't be stupid in what you're fighting over. Fight the good faith. Fight for things that are right. You know, argue about bad teachings, but don't argue about things that don't matter. We're to be one with each other. All right, we're supposed to love. When it comes to conflict, that's essentially what we must get to, is we need to be loving one another. And if we're loving each other and looking out for their best interests more than our best interests, then the conflict that we face, even within the church, uh, is manageable. 
It's doable. And so we, we must understand uh, that we should not be dividing over things that don't matter in the end. Do we love Jesus? Are we working for his kingdom, bringing about his glory? And if that's what we're striving for, who cares what color the carpet is? Who cares um, what version of the Bible we read? Those things don't matter in the end. What matters is promoting the kingdom of God. And to do that, we must be loving one another, working through these steps, trying to be in right relationships with each other. And if we can do that, we can conquer this world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, help us not to be people who are divisive. Uh, Help us, Father, not to, to care what happens. Let's not be legalistic, pointing out everyone's sins, but recognize that there is grace and mercy found in your cross. Let us strive to build each other up, to move each other to a better relationship with you and a better relationship with those who are in the church. And Lord, when conflict comes, for whatever reason, let us be people that are striving to be peacemakers, people who are firmly united together, of one accord, seeking your kingdom growth. God, that is what I ask this morning. Let's do that in your name. Amen.